I was told about uh, an African tribe in, uh, I think it was in uh, the Ivory Coast, uh, a tribe who two evangelists came to visit them and because they were a Muslim tribe, tribe they killed the two believers in Jesus. And years later, some more, uh, another ministry team came through and said, uh, you know, we're here to tell you about Jesus. And uh, the guy, uh, the Muslim head of the village said, let me show you something. These are the two graves of the people we killed who tried to convert us. Now, what was it that you wanted to tell us about? And they said, we're here to serve you. What do you need? And they said, well, we're a Muslim village and uh, one of the problems we have is that none of our children have been circumcised, which the Muslim faith demands. And so we would like you to help us with the circumcision. And, uh, and so they thought, well, what do we do? We said we're here to serve them. The thing they want is something that doesn't really fit, but we'll do it anyway. So they brought in the medical teams. 200 children were circumcised and the leaders said to them, now we know that you really love us. And there is now uh, a church there. Um, so it was serving that opened people's hearts to the good news. So I found that encouraging. I hope you do. Can you imagine the enormity of what happened when Jesus was conceived? That the God who created everything, who knows everything, who has all power, became just a few cells in Mary's body. The mind-bending process of God somehow separating himself from himself so that part of him could become an ordinary human being. If we could have the, the first picture up. Whenever I tr fly, I try to get a window seat. And this was my most recent trip. I love looking out at the view. And it always amazes me. It inspires me. It speaks to me of the existence and magnificence of God. It leads me to worship. So the jet lag is worth it. Uh, if you move on to the next one, Glenn, uh, John Glenn, the astronaut, said, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. And that was his reaction when he saw planet Earth spinning below. And as you know, uh, Earth is just one of many planets in, we're told, at least 10,000 million galaxies. And God knows every single detail of every single one. In fact, the Bible tells us that God knows every detail about every single person on this planet as well. Uh, it uses the, the image that even the hairs on your head are numbered. I think if Jesus was here today, he might say something like, that God the Father knows and understands every link in your DNA. And he knows that for every single person on this planet. It's, it's amazing how great God is. And yet God was willing to put all of that to one side in order to become a normal human being. Putting aside everything that made him God and to become limited like you and me, starting with just a few cells, going through pregnancy, and then being born as a baby. But what happened then? What happened when Jesus was born? Is the Christmas carol correct that says that Jesus didn't cry as a baby? 
I don't think so. Christmas carols and other heresies. You can call me Scrooge if you like, but most Christmas carols are not incredibly accurate. I think Jesus went through all the stages of development just like any other person has to. Now this may sound like heresy to you, I can assure you it's not, but Jesus was not perfect. And certainly as a child he was not perfect. He was without sin, the Bible tells us, that's what it says. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have to learn, and we learn by making mistakes, don't we? So Jesus made mistakes, he got things wrong, just like we do. Slightly later on in the story, uh, we know that when Jesus was 12 years old, his family visited Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And then when his extended family and all the friends from the village uh, travelled on uh, to go back home, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And it was only after this big family village crowd had travelled for about a day that they suddenly realised Jesus wasn't there amongst all the other kids who were playing. And uh, it was on the third day they finally found him back in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Those of you who've had children, can you imagine the blind terror that you feel as a parent when one of your children is missing? Some of you don't look like you can relate to that. Maybe you were pleased to get rid of them. But uh, for us, just putting it out there, it was blind terror whenever you thought that one of them was going. And in that situation, three minutes, that feels like three hours. I dread to think what three days felt like. You see, Jesus wasn't perfect. He had to learn, he had to grow. He didn't know how staying behind in Jerusalem would have completely freaked his parents out. He had to learn about relationships and so many other things. When Jesus was reunited with his parents, we're told in Luke chapter 2 verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all the people. So this was a time of growth and development for Jesus. Growing in wisdom and understanding, really important. Um, but also growing, it says, in stature, so physical stature, but also his, the stature of his character he needed to grow in. Also growing in favour, growing in relationship, both with God and with people. Really important time of growth, going through his teens, going through adolescence. We get another glimpse of this growing process in, later on in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. It says there, Jesus is God's own Son, which is just a way of God describing for us that incredible thing when God was separated from himself. But still he had to suffer before he could learn what it really means to obey God. Suffering made Jesus perfect, and now he can save forever all who obey him. So Jesus wasn't perfect when he was born. He came per became perfect through what he suffered. And he had to grow through the difficulties that he faced. I want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at how we develop and the challenges that that can present us. 
If you're new here this morning, it's wonderful to have you here. Really pleased you're here. But please don't think that this is a normal talk. This is uh, slightly odd. It feels risky, feels strange for me. There's going to be a lot less Bible and a lot more psychology this morning. That's not what we usually do. If you don't like it, don't worry. It'll be back to normal when we gather again on the 5th of November. And we're starting a series then on spiritual warfare. Uh, this material I've gathered from all sorts of different places, including uh, from Mary Pitches, Andy Comiskey, John Smeltzer, and Leanne Payne. So we'll start with rather a long quote from Leanne Payne. Uh, she says, Much that is called emotional illness or instability today is merely the masculine or feminine unaffirmed and out of balance within the personality. The case of a man seriously split off from his masculine side and identity was at one time a pathological rarity, a condition to be met with only now and then. Men affirmed as men by their father and the men of the community were by and large free to mature as husbands, fathers and leaders. In secure possession of their gender identity, the great majority of men moved from the chest, as it were, out of hearts freed from the legalisms of childhood, the narcissisms of adolescence, or the perfectionisms of an adulthood spent futilely seeking self-acceptance. Now, however, what was once the exceptional psychogenic factor has become unhappily a ruling feature of the culture at large. Very few men are adequately affirmed as men today, and many are pathologically split off from their masculine side altogether. I don't know whether you got any of that, but basically she's saying our society is increasingly becoming a mess, because largely because the breakdown of the family unit uh, causes us not to be developing in the healthy way that God designed for us. And uh, this is from a book called Crisis in Masculinity. And what she says here about men is equally true of women too. It should come to no as no surprise to us that we see an increase in sexual brokenness and gender confusion in our society as the very fabric of society deteriorates which happens as we turn away from God and his standards. The family unit is breaking down and more distorted models are being adopted instead of that. So what is gender? In every single one of us, whether we are male or female, there is a masculine and a feminine part. Much of our character is a result of the balance between these two genders, between the masculine and the feminine. And if one part comes out more strongly, there is a resulting shift in character. So, for example, if you've seen a man's man, someone who is a guy who is brash, coarse, crude and so on, without any gentleness or warmth... This comes about not because of too much masculine inside them, but not enough. And so they're trying to make up for what's missing, trying to prove that they're a man by overcompensating and push pushing too hard. Or you've seen maybe a woman's woman. And in, uh, in the notes it said a dumb blonde. I don't know quite how else you'd want to describe it. But perhaps a woman has, who has no strength or a woman who is constantly flirting needing to be affirmed as a woman because she doesn't feel complete inside. 
those are just some examples of where gender is out of balance and it, it causes a major shift in our character. So in each one of us, there is a balance of some kind of masculine and feminine. The masculine soul, uh, whether it's in a male or a female, gives the cap capacity to be, to do, or to speak the truth. It is strength and truth. It thinks analytically, it's very reasoned. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the truth, but he also did. He also spoke the truth. He was strong. He was able to do what was risky. Jesus was not a wimp. And he had the masculine and the feminine there in perfect balance. The feminine soul in a male or a female gives the capacity to nurture and give birth. It is kindness, gentleness, warmth and so on. The, what we think of as the softer characteristics. Its thoughts are intuitive rather than analytical. Now again we know that Jesus was incredibly gentle with people. He was unafraid to weep in public at the death of a friend and the suffering that they were going through. Even though he knew he was about to raise him from the dead, uh, the, the pain that they were feeling uh, caused him to weep publicly. And his strength that he carried that enabled him to be uh, in perfect balance as a man, to be able to take risks and, and so on, didn't stop people coming to him. And in fact, he was incredibly approachable. He was unafraid of letting the softer aspects of his character out strongly. But for many men today, those characteristics are foreign. And if they did feel them, they would bottle them as quickly as possible and move on. Simply because we don't have the correct balance of masculine side, uh, the masculine and the, and the feminine. And, uh, and the result is that we crush one side or the other. We need the intuitive to balance the analysis, otherwise there's no place for us to experience God. Uh, so for example, uh, a kiss has to be experienced first, doesn't it? Some of you are too young to know about that, I'd imagine, but a kiss has to be experienced first. If you try and analyse it while you're experiencing it, you kill the whole thing, don't you? And it's the same as we experience God, that we need to be able to experience God before we analyse what has happened, otherwise we kill what's going on. And we need both genders in balance here to be able to experience God and to enjoy who he is. But if we crush the feminine side, we're crushing the very bit that enables us to experience God more fully. In Jesus, we see the masculine and feminine in perfect balance. One, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was in perfect balance, full of grace and truth. You could put those as the masculine and feminine. So the, the grace is the feminine side, truth is the more masculine side. Leanne Payne writes, the will, the power to obey, the power to know, and the truth, uh, to know the truth and to do it, speak it, be it, is all in Christ, in our God. And so if we have any brokenness in that area, anything that is out of balance, whether we're male or female, we can bring this to Jesus for healing because he is perfect there. He is uh, able to bring us what we need. C.S. Lewis wrote, what is above and beyond all things... 
to God himself, is so masculine that we are all feminine in relation to it. Which is one of the reasons why the Bible uses the image of us being the bride of Christ. Now God is masculine and feminine, but he reveals himself certainly very masculine in character. He initiates, he creates, he calls into being, he orders life. But we also see the feminine characteristics there in God as well. Caring and nurturing. But for us, it's very easy to be out of balance. We can be so truthful that we become ungracious or so gracious that we can't stand up to anything. The growth process starts with our mother, the birthplace of the feminine. The nurturing starts in the womb, it continues after birth with touch, with eye contact, with voice and so on. And at that stage the child is totally dependent upon the mother. The mother nourishes the child by being present but not being overbearing. Later on there is a shift as the father brings the awakening of the masculine. And this is true for a a boy or a girl. And this helps the child form an identity that is apart from the mother. The father's voice and presence help to bring the child out of the mother and form its own identity. Leanne Payne writes, the masculine within the male knows and becomes conscious of itself as it is enabled to see and touch the reality of another male. So the masculine is an experience of the father's love, either directly from the biological father or from males in the extended family and in the community. Lack of experience of this closes off the intuitive and the experiential side as well. We need to separate from our mothers in order to be individuals and to accept ourselves. And part of this happens during puberty. Puberty is full of self-centeredness and concern with how we appear to others. And if we don't negotiate that well, if we don't get the right balance coming out the other side of it, then we remain overly uh, concerned about how we appear to other people. We need to have self-acceptance to be secure in who we are, able to, turn, uh, to be able to turn outward towards other people. And this comes from the male voice because there needs to be a separation uh, from the mother. In our, in our culture, father substitutes are rare for us because ex extended families are split up and that's a large reason we're seeing such gender confusion in our society. So the masculine and feminine within us continue to adjust from conception right the way through adolescence until they stabilise, usually in the early 20s. Um, but the balance that we end up with isn't very often far from ideal. If the father or male figures are not there to lead us into the masculine, then we can lead to extremes, whether male or female. Men who are unaffirmed in their masculinity cannot accept themselves. We're held in immaturity and try to do things to prove to ourselves that we're okay. And we typically use things like sex, money, sport, business, career as things to find validity for ourselves. Trying to be what we long to be, the thing that's missing inside of us. And there is, well you've seen it, there is an incredible drive in some people that is quite unhealthy. If we're out of balance with the masculine side, we keep trying to cover over the pain of not being good enough. But it never does, and so we push further, we push harder, and often end up in deviant behaviour. 
once we are healed and we're in balance, once we come to Jesus and start to receive his healing, then God gives us what we need to be uh, to complement each other. Men to be men, women to be women. We're meant to be different. We need each other and we need the different skills and uh, abilities that each of us bring. So just a little bit about uh, the stages of development. We've all been through the early stage of being nurtured by our mother. may not remember much of it, but we uh, clung to her. We relied on her for everything. And that's a really good place to be. And at that stage, the world revolved around us. We were totally self-centered. There were so many things we had to learn as we grew, including values. Values such as honesty, um, also how to relate to other people, things like delayed gratification. And you see some people who just don't learn those lessons early on. We all went through uh, many development stages without realizing it. We're not going to go into all of them now. But the most noticeable one you may remember was adolescence. Don't know if you remember that. It can be a very stormy time for some people which to a large degree depends upon the foundation that is laid in those, those early nurturing stages. The, psych, uh, the physiological changes which include the hormones uh, go together with ongoing development, development in the masculine and the feminine gender balance. And all of this process of developing uh, results in the character that we end up with and our identity. Now, thankfully, things settle after a while, and even the most unbalanced teenager becomes a sociable human being at the end. Uh, Sometimes they are almost unrecognisable from the raging monster that was the teenager. Uh, I don't know whether that was true for you or not. There are some fantastic courses that are available to help families, and particularly to help the parents navigate through this, uh, that are run by Care for the Family, both for younger children and then also for teenagers. Mandy and I, a couple of years ago, helped uh, with the teenage one at the Charwell School. And uh, I know it's being repeated again at Wheatley Park School this January. I don't know whether other schools are doing it as well, but fantastic material there. After adolescence comes a period of peace and stability. But what catches many people by surprise is what's been described as second, second adolescence or midlife. And uh, I think he's a bit old for midlife, but you get the point. It's the, well, it ought to be a convertible car, oughtn't it? And he's got his, his gold chains on there. Maybe we should go on to the next one, which I found quite amusing and quite worrying as well, before and after. If you're waiting for a sign, this is it. And uh, we've got one more, which is the Amish midlife crisis. Slightly different version of an open top uh, convertible there. But uh... Now for some people, midlife is a crisis, just as adolescence is for many people. But if we understand what's happening, it makes it so much easier. Just as the hormonal changes in adolescence are starting to come earlier, we noticed um, with our boys it was age nine, it used to be more in the teens, so midlife changes are seen to be hitting people earlier as well. For me it started when I was about 35 and it felt like someone had just pulled the carpet from underneath me. There are physical, emotional and physiological changes. 
And at this stage, the masculine-feminine balance starts to change again. For men, there is an increase in the feminine at this stage, which can even lead some men to think that they are actually women. Uh, other men struggle with their identity, but they hang on to being male uh, with that very stereotypical convertible and the gold medallion. For women, there is an increase in the masculine. And so the balance shifts there, again leading some to think that they're actually men rather than women. Women tend to transition at this point into being more activity-focused, whereas men tend to become more relational and are less focused on achievement. Now some of you may be thinking, hang on a minute, let's just have a time out. I'm, around, I'm close to my 20, uh, 20s and you're talking about people in their close to their 40s, you know, this really is not relevant to me. Uh, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's double my lifespan uh, that uh, we're talking about. Well, for those of you who are in your 20s, you are already rubbing shoulders with people who are going through these things, whether it be in a connection group or on a ministry team, and uh, it will really help you to understand this kind of thing the kind of challenges that people go through. You may find yourself ministering to someone on a Sunday morning or in a connection group or on the street. But also for those of you who are in your 20s, I want to throw this out as a challenge to you uh, to say, don't wait. You know, you don't have to be close to being carbon dated like me to be able to be in leadership. Uh, we believe in releasing leaders uh, at a very early stage. Ed and Claire Evans, who now lead the Salisbury Vineyard, were part of this church. We sent them out when they were 22 to plant their church. And so uh, don't wait until you're older to be involved in leadership. But when you find yourself in leadership, you may find yourself leading people who are 5, 10, 20, 30 years older than you are. And so it's useful to understand this stuff. My grandmother used to advise young ladies, beware of men in their 40s. And uh, she was quite right. Second adolescence can be a very destabilizing time for people, and it can leave both men and women more vulnerable to sexual temptation. I think that's very different to the sexual predators that we see, such as Harvey Weinstein and and others. That indicates that there's a problem very early on in life where the, the gender balance has been wrong. But during midlife, hormonal and chemical changes in the body also play their part. I used to be able to eat anything without putting on weight. Now I, I just look at food and I start to get middle-aged spread. Um, my hairline started to recede, much to the amusement of my children and uh, wounds took longer to heal, energy levels changed. Uh, you just need to be aware that that kind of thing happens. When we add these development stages to the seasons of the soul that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, you can probably see life starts to get complicated. Now for some people the midlife changes coincide with season four when we hit the wall, but for others they are completely separate. We also need to add in other changes. Moving from being a student to hopefully working, but finding that we have moved from the student setting, which is highly relational, to a work setting, which is not. Uh, 
and maybe finding it much harder to make friends. Moving from being single to dating, from dating to being engaged and then to being married, they all have an impact on our life balance and on our other friendships. And very often people find when they get married, suddenly their single friends don't seem to be as comfortable around them anymore. And they feel rejected and vice versa. Having small children is another thing altogether. Another layer of complication are the wounds that we have picked up, particularly when we were young and our character was still forming. We're very vulnerable at that stage. They become a part of us and we often don't realise how much a part of us they are or how damaging they are to us because they are normal. But these wounds make it much harder for us to transition well through these other stages. Which is why I think finding freedom and Emmanuel prayer are so important. We've got an Emmanuel prayer uh, training weekend coming up very soon. And the dates are November, December. December. Uh, 17th of November in Reading. 17th of November in Reading. But an Emmanuel breakfast on the 11th. So for those of you who've had some training in Emmanuel, that's the breakfast is for, for us. But if you haven't received training, there's a Friday night and Saturday, and then uh, this side of Christmas, and then another Saturday in January. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, I am so grateful to God that I've been through it and some of the healing I've received. Finding Freedom, we're going to run in February, and so we'll get the dates out to you about that. It's another great way of dealing with some of this baggage that we've picked up uh, over the years. So all of that adds to the complexity and the richness of life. But we can be sure that no matter what, th what life throws at us, Jesus says that he walks with us on that journey. So Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. And this was Jesus speaking as God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, whatever them may be. For the Jews in that context, it was the surrounding nations who had much bigger armies that were more well equipped and better trained. For us, the them can include uh, any problem that we're facing. Jesus says, don't be afraid of it. Don't be terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. We have a God who humbled himself to become like one of us. Fully human, facing all the, all the weaknesses that we face. He knows what it is to go through them. He understands the trials and the difficulties that we go through because he was fully human. And he didn't just have an easy ticket because he was God. He loves us so much that he promises to be with us in every situation, every season. Even when we don't feel his presence, he's here. In your connection groups this week, you have a Bible meditation that you'll be doing together, which I hope that you'll enjoy. It's a tool that I've been using most days for about a year. And uh, I found that it's taking much, me much, much deeper into God's presence and into his love for me. So I highly recommend it. It's, uh, this week you're going to be doing it as a group, which is a little unusual. Um, but you can also use it on your own and it works brilliantly like that. So next Sunday we've got the Bake Off and then we'll be starting a series on spiritual warfare. And... Uh, just digging through some of the bits in the Bible to see what it has to say 
about the warfare that we find ourselves in. I don't know whether when you were praying in the prayer relay yesterday you noticed a shift in the spiritual atmosphere. Uh, I think it was, I'm not sure it was sometime during the morning, but certainly during the day I noticed that there was a shift. So well done to everybody who got involved in praying yesterday. Prayer is powerful, so uh, keep going. Let's stand together, shall we? God says to you today, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus, we thank you that that's true. We thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you for the way that that was expressed by you humbling yourself, uh, doing that amazing thing of becoming a baby and then living a sinless life, dying on the cross for us, rising again, and now welcoming us into relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make that more and more real to each one of us this week. That you'd help us to uh, become more aware of your presence with us. And whatever stage it is that we're going through, whatever difficulties we may be facing, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you're for us. We thank you that those critical voices that we hear are not from you, but that you love us, you affirm us, you build us, you strengthen us, and you encourage us. Thank you that your every thought towards us is positive, that there is never a critical or judgmental thought, but you turn judgment away from us so that we can be your children. And Father, I ask that where we are carrying a broken image of your fatherhood, where these things have got out of balance, that you would start to bring your healing or continue to heal us, that you would, uh, that you would change us from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you that you understand. I think some of you could do with some prayer this morning because you're just being way too hard on yourself. And uh, you need to be able to let go of that. And Jesus wants to bring some healing to you. Uh, break the power of those critical voices so that you, you're free to be able to enjoy who he made you to be. For some of you, the voices uh, in the past, particularly from your parents, from teachers, from other authority figures that should have encouraged you and built you up, strengthened you and given you courage and confidence, instead put you down. And uh, if you're aware of that, then again, I'd encourage you to get somebody to pray for you. If anybody's struggling with sexual temptation, please be assured you're not on your own. Most people do. And uh, we're here to pray for each other and support each other. So I'm not going to ask you to... Uh, you know, go public with that. I'll leave you to do that privately, but I really strongly encourage you to do that.
So I bless you in the name of Yahweh, the God who was and is and is to come. The God who was there when you were conceived, who was there right the way through your development, who's seen every single thing that's happened to you. He knows every thought, every emotion you've had, and he still loves you. And he's still with you, and there's nothing that you can do that will push him away. He will keep coming back to you. He will keep loving you. He will keep accepting you. He was with you in the past. He's with you today. And he is with you in the future. Whatever it holds, whether that's good or bad, whether it's stormy or calm, your God is with you. And Father, I ask that you would just uh, give us a new awareness of that. I bless you with that awareness that God is with you, that he's for you. That every second of every day you can turn to him to receive what you need. Whether that's the solution to a business problem, or whether it's healing, whether it's financial help, whether it's whatever. Your God is with you. He is for you. So I bless you in Jesus' name. We have five minutes before children need to be picked up. So if you'd like some prayer, grab somebody or come down to the front and we'll link you up. Um, if you have a Connect card, you can take that down to the information area and swap that for a free CD. And uh, there are drinks and more cakey type things downstairs too. God bless you. See you at the Bake Off. <laughs>